everybody. We are back for another episode of Megashin, your podcast for everything gay and geeky from a Black queer perspective. I am Victor. And I'm Nick. The news and views for you to peruse. Oh. It's been a minute and a yeah. half. Um, well, we've been busy. You know, you got a new job. and Yeah, she's back in the office, girl. You see the staff. Take a minute, you see the staff. <laughs> now you can say things like, "Well, you know, we can we can have a meeting in my office, or um, please see me in my office." Um, Actually, no, I don't want you in my office. I don't want anybody in my office except me. Like, leave me alone. When that door is closed, baby, <laughs> don't knock, don't do anything. Just leave me alone. Let me work. But it's fun. I the position I have as an accountant, I did not think that I would be working in finance in that kind of role. But you know, here we are. And I'm glad that it's finally working out after what feels like so long. Mm-hmm. So We'll see, you know, how long, how much longer I'll have this kind of feeling for it. But well, enjoy wearing your, you know, your your cute outfits. You come to the office, you know, you see, you know, Sandy my tight slacks on, showing yeah. my caboose, <laughs> coming in. Hey, girl, right? Which today, you know, you can do all that. <laughs> what you bet up to though? Well, we, we've been very busy over here. Um, you know, we have a lot coming up. For those who don't know, I've been working behind the scenes with a lot of different events that we have in Los Angeles. So we have QCon coming, we have QTCon coming, and working on editing this book of Black queer stuff. And just, it's been a lot. And you know, Comic-Con is literally around the corner. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I mean, we already in May, basically, it's going to be July, and then we're right back in the mess. So it's just a lot to do with all, a lot of that, and it's been very busy. But the fun stuff has been, you know, seeing films. Um, my students graduated today, and they're having a great time. And, yeah, you know, just trying to survive in this expensive ass town for no reason mm-hmm. uh, so that's been pretty much me it's been like you know not as exciting as having a new fantastic job but you know oh lord here she go <laughs> no i'm happy that you have this new job because it, it sounds like it's something that's just it's going to be fun and challenging all I right and people i'm gonna- not going to feel like it's um the same old thing like I was doing before. Yeah. And it's like, you won't feel like it's beneath you. You'll feel like. Exactly. It's like, I'm important because if I don't get this done, y'all not moving. So. It'll be hell to pay. Yeah. That's neat. But you're right. It has been a minute and it's been a lot of stuff. Uh, yes, it has. It's just a lot of stuff. that Since we've been gone. I guess we're going to kind of jump into Unmaced Tea here since we've been gone. Now, you know, a lot of us was lusting after Jonathan Majors. And then all of a sudden, 
that that flipped like that was flipped fast and oh goodness you know it's it's it was literally overnight that um story came out and then it just got worse and worse and worse now there's a restraining order a temporary restraining order she's put on him i'm like what is going on and and who are his lawyers phaedra because i'm just like yeah it, it was just like it felt that uh i didn't even read it because at this point i'm like okay i was done after the allegations came out i was like you know what i'm going to believe it's true until i'm proven otherwise not mm -hmm. but it's i i think it's true it doesn't seem like I, I, yeah, I'm believing the victims until mm -hmm. something comes out that otherwise. Yeah, and they were saying like, oh, she they recount recanted their um, statement, but the recantment felt I don't know forced. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like a full recantment yeah. or a, a believable recantment. Yeah, she, yeah. She was saying like, "Well, I'm sorry, this is happening to you." When that was released and all that stuff, and it, I don't, it felt like that his people was putting that pressure on. Like, look what you've done now. He was rising up, and right, petty argument has now blown up. But apparently, stuff has been going on with other people in the past, and so a lot of that has been coming out, and now it, it's just really, really, really unfortunate. But it is what it is. And, you know, I hope the victims are okay. I hope they're getting the thing that they need. And I want people to quit trying to judge the victims or just, you know, I, I don't like to always use that word victims, but they were like, well, she was partying in Los Angeles and, and, and all that stuff, and, you know, and, and people have this different spin on it. And you know the whole steps are out there now. So there's like, well, he was around with those white women. So that's what that's why if he was I was like, it And it's the same know. ones. Yeah. It's the same ones that said when he did that shoot with Essence when he was uh covered in pink, they were like, Oh, he's being uh demasculated or he's feeding into this agenda that it's gonna be uh, the demasculation of black men in America. And then five seconds later, when the story came out, oh, he's getting this from America or he's not uh, guilty. And this is just, a, it's like, okay. Y'all make up you niggas. Like, it can't be both things. Yeah, y'all. And I feel that this is just me my personal opinion about majors this whole i'm always leery of straight men who uh come across as um sensitive um and play has has this mentality that they I guess for a back of a better word, like they're sense so sensitive, and I'm always kind of 
leery of that because history has proven to me that straight men are dangerous. So when they come from a place like, oh, this different side of them, I know it's wrong for me to have such an opinion about them or a preconceived notion, but that preconceived notion is not coming out of thin air. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it is something, and you know, I, I think they still have a, a trial or whatever is coming up or whatever. Whatever happens, again, we hope that, you know, the victims are okay, people who come forward are not being dragged through the mud. And they heard, I heard that this was not Definitely, it's not a one-off thing. And yeah. this had started when he was, uh, where, where was, did he go to school? NYU? He went somewhere. I can't remember where he was, but it, yeah. And people it, were trying to sound the bells during that time. And I, it's, yeah, I don't, he should suffer the consequences and Kevin Feige should go ahead and say um, deuces. Yeah. Now, I've been, and these are rumors, but, you know, I think people are saying that they're waiting to see how that plays out. Um, because I saw people make a comparison to, like, Robbie Downey Jr., and I was like, well, that man was, he went through what he went through way before all this. And oh, he, yeah. So I was like, I don't know if you can do that. Um, but I guess, you know, if they are waiting to see how this goes down, whatever, whatever. But they got choices. So if they need to replace, you know, John Bodega, anybody, they got other people who can do these roles. Um, I think Coleman Domingo. Well, you know, he can do it too. Because he is a versatile, he's a versatile actor. We've seen him do all types of things. We've seen him play a villain. And Candyman, we've seen him be, you know, very sensitive and very caring, but realistic in Euphoria. So he can He's do one it. of the girls. So yeah, yeah you know, we <laughs> and we make good villains. <laughs> we can we can do good villains. So. Some of us make bad villains. Just look at Twitter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Twitter, it you know, that's another story for another time, and. I think that it was something you brought up. I think we really need to start. We'll we will be addressing this soon about this whole because y'all on Twitter. Side note, sidetrack real quick. Y'all have this obsession with black folks dating other people outside their race so much. I have never seen y'all so in other people's business. Meanwhile, what's going on in y'all business? What what is really going on over there? But and you know. Just, can we be happy for people? Can we? <laughs> can we be happy? For I people? mean, that's why I feel like Twitter is like the the question for Twitter will always be: Can y'all just be happy for people? Can y'all just let people be be out of their business? I think I said on Twitter, like I understand why some black people don't want to be a don't want to have a sexual relationship with a white person mm -hmm. or somebody of a different ethnicity mm. because there's so much familiar familiarity mm. and there's certain nuances 
in certain cultural aspects that I wouldn't have to explain to somebody that is not of the same, that is not black. Well, that is, you know what I mean. Um, what I don't like is a when black people date exclusively white people, or I'll just say when gay, when queer black men date exclusively clear queer white men, and for the specific purpose of their uh, proximity to whiteness and somehow their aversion to blackness. Mm -hmm. That's where I have an issue. And that's where I think a lot of black people, when they bring this topic of interracial relationships on the timeline. Yeah. But in the same instance, I am not gonna take advice from anybody on Twitter, number one. Number two, I know because I'm in a relationship with a white person, I know that it's not because, oh, I want the, the privileges of being white or some kind of crazy ass notion. That's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. And me and him have had conversations about blackness and uh, things that I have to take into account, which he might not be aware of, like case in point, like um, going out to eat mm -hmm. and somebody in the server brings the bill and automatically lands it in front of him. And to him, it might not be a big deal, but to me, it's like, oh, you think just because he's white that he can pay the bill or he has all the money, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Those little um, nuances that if I was in a relationship with a black person, I would have to worry about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that a, a good roundtable discussion would be yeah. interesting. Because what you were saying, you know, that the part about some people do it for the proximity of whiteness. Yes, but I think everybody applies that to everyone who dates outside their race. Right. And that's not the issue. It's, it's again, you can't say in one sentence, we're not a monolith, but then treat us like a monolith. So you can't mm -hmm. do both because um, there's different reasons. There's different reasons. There's, you know, there's places where there's not you may again some of it is economic some of it is where you work some some of the thing it's just so many different factors that people leave out right um, and you know it, it's it's unfair but it's also common sense that's why i get upset with the with the conversation is because it's like it's common sense y'all you can't you can't say that to everybody and you can't say this is what they're thinking if you don't even know who they are so it's like how do y'all even get to where y'all get to right but i do i do think that the people that say things like that now this is maybe this is an opinion of mine that they're they're just coming from that aspect the fact that all white people regardless of political affiliations, if they're left-leaning or right-leaning, if they're conservative or liberal, 
they benefit from the power structure of whiteness and white privilege. I get that. People I know get that. My partner gets that. Um, and I wouldn't want to be with somebody who doesn't get that. Mm -hmm. That's the main distinction. Yeah. But girl, we'll be here forever talking about this. Really? So let's <laughs> jump over to, we had a couple of trailers that came out since we've been gone, you know, Little Mermaid, we got to see how pretty that's going to be. And I know y'all heard her, um, Holly saying, um, part of that world. Um, there's been so many, it's been a lot of positive reaction. I don't know if you saw the, the blondes, the two blondes. This is two I did see that. Oh my gosh. Miss girl was going through it. I know her life was being told. <laughs> <laughs> through those through those notes and I was I, I watched that today I was like but no it was it was a great rendition of that song and you know it's the you know everything it looks really good it's, it's gonna like it's gonna be a fun film you know people are already complaining about the the animals I'm like y'all come on but they're not gonna look like the cartoon and they're not gonna grin <laughs> right thing. Um, but you know it's gonna. It looks really good. Um, Ursula looks. I saw really Daddy. Good. Uh, Daddy Triton. You you know what? He yes. is a rolling stone. <laughs> All those kids. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever he laid his hat. That's right. Yeah. He did. He did. He did. Just like Zeus. Just like all of them. I said, oh, he had swimmers. But you know what? We but we understand why Daddy Triton. Hmm. You know, we'd be out there too, probably. I bet it's heavy too. I bet it's heavy, heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Namor, they can't be. You know, they run in those streets and the in the in the waters in the ocean. So stick to the lakes and rivers like you used to, honey. That's what we're trying to do. But yeah, it looks really good. We're very excited for it. I love that the doll. Um, I'm hearing the doll is selling out, or it's it, the pre-orders or whatever's going on with it. It's just through the roof. I'm going to get one just because it's mm -hmm. a moment. So it's like, why not get one? You know, I'm going to get one, um, give it to somebody. But, you know, I mean, it, it's really nice and I'm really proud of them, you know. And I'm glad people are kind of slowly getting over this whole thing about she's not being the Ariel they grew up with because, again, this is a mermaid. But um, it doesn't matter because, you know, we have a whole new generation that didn't grow up with that. So they go, this is going to be their version. Of I actually, I've never watched The Little Mermaid. I haven't either. <laughs> I'm like, it never just, it never appealed to me, for real. Yeah. For real. Like, it's just, if you get, I, if you've given me the choice of Aladdin or Little Mermaid, I'm always going to go with Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I only seen Sleeping Beauty and Snow White all the way through. I haven't seen none of the other ones. And I was only in for Sleeping Beauty because of Magnificent. So I'm just saying that, you know, yeah, I haven't really, mm -hmm. I've seen parts of it. No, I've seen Lion King. I'm, that's a lie. I've seen Lion King, 116 Dalmatians. I've seen all the, I've seen no. It's 101. No, <laughs> you know, and those two. I saw The Rescuers. Okay, I remember reading the book, the little. 
a little book. Yeah, I've seen some of the. Let me quit that line. I've seen some of the cartoon movies, but not the, not a lot of the recent ones. Though I haven't seen Frozen. I haven't seen. I haven't seen that either. Um, Lalo and Stitch, and yeah. I haven't seen you know the ones. No, I haven't seen a lot of them. So, you know. But anyway, cute trailer. Um, as you know, Flash had another one. That's going to be a very interesting film because, again, they kept their actor, um, <laughs> Ezra, um, mm -hmm. who, who has a ton of problems. Or as someone said recently, he's made some mistakes. Um, which that, that When he terrorized in all the Hawaiian islands for like yeah. a month or two. Yeah. Like he was like fucking the... From the... Uh, What's the the bit the bad guys from uh, Challenge of the Super Friends, the Legion of Doom, like yeah. doing all this band of mischief all up and through, and he's just gonna say, "Oh, he was just making some mistakes." Oh, it's going to build a break. Yeah, I'm like, but turn around. But I'm glad people found his tweet about Will Smith. Uh huh. I was like, yeah, you were talking too big. You should have known better for that. You know how Twitter You know goes. how white folks are. But yeah, I mean, again, I think a lot of people are only in it for Michael Keaton. <laughs> I mean, that's probably, if I'm going to see it, that might be the only reason why I will see it is because of that. I'll see it when it comes on uh, streaming. I'm not paying <laughs> to see that. I just... It doesn't... I'm at a point where I do not care. Yeah. I'm at a point I just want this this that whole part of the DC universe to end. Like that's the ending. Um these last two movies they've had have been bombs. I mean, Black Adam, um, and Shazam. You can tell people are like, we just ready for y'all to end them. Just right. The girl, just wrap it up. Wrap it up. Yeah. And that's why I was like, that's why they, you know, but that's good on James Gunn and to be like, okay, they ready for this to be over with and ready to see what we're going to do here. So, um, you know, it does, I'm not going to lie, the movie does look interesting um, when you have Batman in there. You get to see him, you get to see Michael Keaton batting in that role and then you have a new Supergirl who's wearing this interesting outfit. I'm not a fan of the outfit, um, but um, it's, I saw the Barbie <laughs> version of that and I'm like, <laughs> Even that doesn't look all that cute, but you know, it we'll see how that goes. But I'm sure the movie's gonna do well because it's the final one of that universe. So I think it's gonna do well. I'm still shaky back if I'm gonna see it or not. Um, but you know, the trailer looks cute. Um, uh, I just want Ezra out. Just let's just yeah, go away. Put him away for a while and all that good stuff. So I am really just looking forward to that. Um, and as y'all know, The Garden of the Galaxy will be out, I think, next week. The new movie will be out next week. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it's going to end this, you know, their story. And, you know, there's a lot of... I hope he kills them all. All of them? All of them. All of them? All the above. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I want them all to go. I mean, Star-Lord can go. He can go. I can see three death scenes from Star Lord and still not be satisfied. Yes, 
because, you know, it is his fault. I love that everybody's like, you know, the only reason why we even got the end game is because of his foolishness. And so mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it was his fault. It was his fault. But I am very curious to see how this is going to end. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there for that. I do want to see what they're going to do. And does this reveal something that's coming forward? We already know that we have the Marvels coming, which we're all hyped for that. And then we got Secret Invasion. We um, stopped the trailers for those. Yes. Um, what do you think of the Marvels? I'm ready for it. It feels like I know they're going to throw like a, a curveball as far as what why is uh, Miss Marvel fighting with them. Mm -hmm. um, if I had to hope it's maybe we can see another mutant in here. And by another mutant, I mean Rogue. Mm. You really want to see some Rogue jump up in there. I mean, that that would be how I would introduce mutants. Well, mutants have already been introduced mm -hmm. with Ms. Marvel. Yes. Um. So it would just be in a continuation on that story. And it would be another continuation on to leading into X-Men. Mm -hmm. So I know it's probably going to be wrong anyway, but I, mean, <laughs> I could dream. <laughs> no, it, it would be cute if they do introduce them or if they're introduced in Secret Invasion, because again, they could be already, there could be something going on there. And we saw a little bit how Miss Marvel was talking about these different people um, and all that and her grandmother and all, you know, it's just like, there's some stuff. Right. And I, I'm hoping it will all tie in together. Uh, we may see, I don't, I don't know. I know they, they're filming Loki season two. Did we really need a season two of Loki though? We say that. And then they sometimes they give us a reason why it is. So I'm 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 gonna I'm just gonna just trust the process, see what's happening. I'm just gonna start what's gonna happen moving forward because yes, we we all are assuming they will replace Jonathan Majors, and there's so much Kane coming up, but that's kind of easy because this could be as we saw there are different versions. This could be another version. Um, mm -hmm. coming up. And that person, you know, will probably take over and do because we have the what we have the King Dynasty, we have, and you know, Fantastic Four that's coming around the corner somewhere, somewhere. And so, there's a lot. Um, and we got another Scarlet Witch. Um, Despite, I, I know you. I know you are. As y'all don't know yet, Nick has his philosophy about her, and her. I don't like. Does that white bitch? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't like that. Oh, everybody was. Don't, don't get me started. I just don't like. I don't like her. She you no. Know, what Nick believes, and I believe this too. She needs to be held accountable for her crimes. Like so, she needs to go to the. She needs to go to the Shiar. Like she needs to be. Brought, I don't even know if they want her. Like Lelandra needs to be like, girl, we come and talk to you. Like we'll deal with Phoenix in another time, but we got we got to come and talk to you. 
Right. You cause the problems and we saw it and we're gonna have to do something about it. So but you know, I I really want to see Lil. I don't know why I'm so interested in seeing Lilandra. I, I I really want to because they in space so much. I feel like they and they need... already hinted at like the the Cree and Miss Marvel, didn't they? Yeah, and the Cree and all that gonna have stuff to do with Secret Invasion. So that's why mm -hmm. I'm like, well, y'all have to talk about the Shi'ar at some point because they have all interacted so much. Yep, and I'm like, y'all gonna have to like. It might be a cameo of some of them, you know, Deathbird. You can bring Deathbird in. Because Deathbird has also fought um Captain Marvel a lot. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mystique. See, this is how you can introduce Mystique too, because that was one of one of the reasons why Miss uh Carol Danvers hate, not only because of Rogue, but she really hates Mystique. Well, uh, Mystique was the uh she was the puppet master and everything. Mystique. Uh, also murdered in the comics, murdered her boyfriend in Carol's face. So when she was killing him, she was Carol Danvers. Um, and so that's why that is a that's why they can't stand each other. And when they see each other, they're ready to fight every five seconds, which I don't blame them. I'll probably be ready to fight with Steve. Right. It's on site. Yeah. And so. I don't, you know, I'll be happy to see either one of those two. But if you, whoever they do as a mystique, you have, they have to be at the caliber and quality. Of yeah, I don't want you doing, um, going from Rebecca Romaine to Jennifer Lawrence again. Do that again. You, you can't give us something as iconic as Rebecca. And then you got to get, they have, and they got, they can find somebody. Because, you know, Rebecca surprised the hell out of me because I didn't realize that she was, she could pull that off. Give us that look. Give us that smirk. Give us that grin. Mm -hmm. that, that was just pure evil. But yet, you were still on her side. <laughs> Regardless, <laughs> you were still on her side. So looking like, forward to that. Um, right. And let's see. what There was another trailer. I'm missing out on something. But there was another trailer that we are... That is coming with something. Um... No, I know. I think that was kind of it. You know, we, um, it's going to be amazing to see those films, um, especially the Marvels. Looking forward for the Marvels more than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's going to be really neat. Um, what do you now? I, I know you're not reading the comics, but now there are, you know, it's been a lot of Storm love lately. Storm has been really popping up and there's rumors again because i think i mentioned this before uh, since marvel has been putting out merchandise uh -huh. they're doing a lot of black panther and miles merchandise uh -huh. that storm and a part of that um target was doing this where you can buy stuff and you had all three of them and we know that's a marvel property now so i am wondering Rumors are we might Storm might be the first one we see, or the first one we see from that X Men to pop up. She very well could be the first. Well, another mutant that we see, but she might not be an X Men. Yeah, she might still be a the goddess uh, that she was. You know, she still might be in Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, lauded as a goddess. But 
I don't know. I I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't think I want her to be the first one, only because she's a sister, and you know how niggas are. Like, <laughs> oh, she's this. Oh, she's that. Oh, she's the black one. Oh, I don't want to be the black one. Oh, she's too dark. Oh, she's too light. It's like, calm down, Goldilocks. Yeah. So yeah, I am. You know, I am um, looking forward to seeing how that part plays out. Um, but you know, again. We'll see how, you know, Marv always throws us off. We think we know what's going to happen. We, we had no we idea. Went on that whole mystical train. <laughs> we were all just... For I don't know how goddamn long. We thought we knew. And it turned out we were just totally wrong. So, yeah, we're going to leave that alone. Um, next thing is, speaking of Twitter, we have been talking about Twitter for a moment. Uh, and this whole blue check thing just went <laughs> completely out of hand. So now what did you think about this? Now y'all don't know what you probably do. You know, Elon was going to, he was going to say, if you don't pay by this certain time, everybody's losing. Everybody's going to take it unless you pay for Twitter blue. All of a sudden, it was gone, but some people he kept because I guess he liked them or whatever, but they were being, I guess, on Twitter blue. And a lot of the actors were like, like Stephen King, for example, writer, but he was like, I didn't pay for this. I didn't ask for this. Um, you can take this mm -hmm. <laughs> my, of thing, you know, everything. Um, so um, that went crazy. People was, you know, some people kept it, some people didn't. As we know now, a lot of people who are keeping it, um, there are reasons. There are a lot of reasons I think that gets lost in the conversation. Now, some people have kept it for the editing purposes only. Right. They're like, yeah, I'm paying because I can, I can edit, which that makes sense because we a lot of us make mistakes on there. We want to edit. Um, you can pay for that. But now they've hidden it to where you don't, You, I think you have the choice. You can show your blue check or you don't have to show your blue check. I'm mm -hmm. not sure how it goes, but um, you can have people have paid for it, have did it so they can do a lot of editing. Now, some people do it because it's also, it promotes you more. So for example, if you are an OnlyFans person, um, you use that to promote yourself, which that's totally fair. I mean, you got, you're, that's your business. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you gotta make money. And a lot of people, you know, even some friends to show, like, you know, Sean and some other people, um, they have it. So it promotes them because they got to make money, too. They got to pay rent just like everybody else. Right. You know, some people got it so they can just be assholes. That's another reason. Um, but it's just so far stuck up. Elon Musk is musky ass. Yes. It's just I don't get the people think this man is a genius. And I'm like, is he? No. No, if y'all seen him in interviews, he is not. Um, and it was that whole weekend, it was last weekend, where it was like, I pay for sp free speech. I'm like, if you had to pay for free speech. <laughs> then it's not free. Like, yeah, then you lost. What? Yeah, you've already lost. Um, so that was just a huge mess. You know, personally, I don't care if you bought it or not. That is your business. That is your, what, $11 a month, whatever you're doing. That's your business. Well, let's not get to... I just think it's kind of funny because we had some people really trying to bring down those folks who are doing it, but not understanding if the reasons why. 
but some of those people are the same ones hoping to get verified years ago. <laughs> I'm like, a lot of y'all were on here begging to get verified. Now you don't want to, you don't have to pay for it, whatever, whatever. But now you're trying to go out people who did. It, it, it's just a big mess. It doesn't really matter. Right. It's Twitter, for God's sakes, y'all. It's Twitter. It's like, it's like y'all fighting over Facebook. When you stop and think about it, it's Facebook. And Instagram, nobody is going to pay. Now, some people might. But y'all, I don't know why y'all thought people were going to pay for that. Everybody go do that. It's Instagram. It's been free for over 10 years. Ain't nobody right. going to pay It's like, girl, ain't nobody pay for that. So y'all yeah. can just quit trying to do that. Or we'll just go back to, I don't know, what we used to do. MySpace. We'll just go back to Black that. Planet. Black Planet. I don't know. Oregon Trail. Whatever. <laughs> Oregon Trail. We're going to have to go back all that stuff and um so yeah that was the thing but this is this wasn't on our list before we jump into the whole microsoft madness but this is another anniversary of the failed attempt girl do not pay <sighs> um, of universal fan con we this is how many years has this been like about what well, was supposed to happen 2016, right? Yeah. Girl. Okay. So I was in a good mood. Now I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as you know, that is the, that is another anniversary of that. Uh, Twitter did bring that up again. You know, every year it has to come back up. It came up. Um and for those who don't know, that was a, a, an attempt to have a more people of color type of Comic-Con that turned out to be a scam, ruined people's reputations. I think they only got, what, $50,000 out of that. So people mm -hmm. have to call Twitter. Jamie Broadnax is still on Twitter, has not really been held accountable, but has lost a lot of credibility. And I'm always sitting here, you know, every year I will be like, was it worth it? Was it really, really, really worth it? Um, losing that credibility so much. Um, those people got chased off Twitter and they never have come back. I don't remember who they are at this point. So I know Robert Butler was one of them. Yeah. And it's just ridiculous. But yeah, we'll go ahead. Just, you know, there's a moment of silence for that foolishness. You know what? No, it's not just a moment of silence. But now I have things to say. Like, <laughs> I remember when they did the um, the pop-up con, and I forgot what it was called. Um, anyway, when they had the pop-up con to substitute for Universal Con, mm -hmm. I remember getting off the train and walking by the convention center that they were supposed to have this con in, the a Universal fan con. Mm -hmm. That motherfucker was a massive. And I was thinking, y'all was gonna fill up that center, and it was it was huge. It felt it looked like the Staples Center to me. And I'm just, uh, I don't think, and maybe this is just my opinion on how critical I am about our podcast, but I don't think our podcast. I think our podcast suffered a lot in terms of people who listen to it, people who 
um, liked our content and respected what we had to say. Mm-hmm. I think because of our relationships with uh, Black Girl Nerds or the other uh, people, we suffered. And I don't think we recovered from that. And that's another thing that really pisses me off about the situation. Mm. Yeah, I think, and not just us, I think a lot of places felt that too. And also felt that heat because of the fact that we really believed um, these people. And so now, you know, nothing's happened since then. And that's just something that we have to sadly have to remember, but hopefully if this ever happens again, I, these whoever will ever do something close to that, they already know they will be watched like hawks just because uh-huh. it went down and why it went down. Um, and, you know, there's other, you know, there's been Afrocon, there's a lot of different ones out there and they're growing. So do support those. Those are legit. Those are what they really put into people first. Um, but yeah, you're right. A lot of us suffered from that because of the fact that we were promoting it. We put a lot of trust in these people. But never again. Never again. <laughs> exactly. So tell us about what what is this the Microsoft? What what is going on in that crazy world? Okay, so um I wanna say last year, uh during one of the Microsoft's um showcases that they were going to uh, buy or uh, there was going to be an acquisition between Microsoft and Blizzard, uh, Activation Blizzard. Mm-hmm. Blizzard uh, is responsible for games like uh, Overwatch, mm-hmm. I think uh, League of Legends, World of Warcraft, um, some other games, a, a lot of big, expansive um, MMOs uh, that have been been played, you know, since the late before time. Mm-hmm. Well, last week, well, this week, the uh, Britain's uh, regulator is moving to block this acquisition, and they said that because it would make uh, Microsoft even bigger, and I uh, akin that to, um, do you remember? back in the 90s where MCI and Bell South were trying to merge or, you know, some of those uh, telecommunications firms yeah. were trying to be like a, a monopoly. That's what they basically thought that this was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said uh, Activation's shares went down like 8%. Um, and this, I think goes to an even bigger notion, not just in video games, but overall in the private sector, when a lot like a a big company like a Sony, like a Marvel, I mean, like a Marvel or a Microsoft starts buying up these other companies and then you're left with four or five companies that control the majority of your lives. So take uh, Amazon, for instance. You can buy your food from Amazon. You could buy a car from Amazon. Insurance, drug uh, prescriptions, 
um, pretty soon, I'm sure that they're probably going to do get into insurance. Uh, it, it just, I think, I don't think this was a good idea to begin with, this acquisition. But we're going to, I'm going to keep track of this because A, I'm a gamer. B, uh, I like business. And C, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I, I think it is, but it could start a trend. I mean, it's already a trend of mergers, but I think it could start a trend for more. But also, Blizzard, Blizzard has had a lot of issues, a lot of harassment issues, and a lot of that has come up. So I don't know if that, is this a, a, a way of them cleaning that up by making this merger? Because I'm sure Microsoft has tougher I don't know regulations. Regulations, and they probably clean that up. I don't know if that's a part because a part of me feels like maybe that's a little bit of a reason why this is happening too. Because it's like we can clean that bullshit up. <laughs> it's it's almost right. you know like if we take over, we can get in there and because it's us, we're not going to let that happen. And they might be like, please, because we don't really know how to get this in place. That could be something, but yeah, this is it's becoming, we've seen a lot of these mergers happen and some were for, for the, not for the best. I mean, goodness, look at what's happening with HBO and now the Max. Or Max Girl, oh my God. That <laughs> stuff that's trying to happen. It is such a ridiculous mess, but it really is. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think it was a good, like I said, I didn't think it was a good idea when I first heard of it uh, during their showcase. And granted, it gives, it gives Microsoft the ability to bring more of their games to their Xbox audience. However, a lot of their, a lot of the games that Blizzard was making was uh, across platforms. So I didn't get that in terms of a business sense. If anything, if I acquired Blizzard, it would just make and and made a game that I wanted to share across um, the platforms. Microsoft would just get first bid. You know, they would get the initial release, and then on down the line, I would release it to other systems. That's the only reason I could see it since that. But then again. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't, I don't get that kind of business tactic. Because I'm. if I want to release a game, I'm going to release it to everybody all at once. Why would I do a timed release specifically to one console and then cut my shares or cut my profits already at the knee? What I could have had those profits and more if I released it on all three systems. But that's just me. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, though. That makes sense. But we'll see how this plays out. Nick is going to keep watching it and we're going to see if it just gets better or if it gets worse. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? And that is your business report. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think that is it for the tea. We got something else coming up in King Size Issue. So Yes, we do. We have a very, I think, a very important interview with a local um, director of a nonprofit here in Kentucky. And the interview is a lot of the information that we discussed was Kentucky specific. However, I think broadly, it could be used um, to for anybody living anywhere, blue state or red state. So y'all stay tuned for that. Um, it should be really good. And let's put these teacups away and we will be back. All right, y'all. Welcome back to our show. Uh, we have a very exciting and I believe important uh, guest uh, on our King Size Issue in today's episode. Um, you guys might not know because it is local here in Kentucky, but we have the executive director of the Fairness Campaign, uh, Mr. Chris Hartman here. Um, so welcome, Chris. Welcome to Megasheen. Well, thanks so much, Nicholas. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Not a problem. So let's just get right into it. Uh, for, like I said, for the listeners to do, that don't do not live in Kentucky, can you tell us about the work the Fairness Campaign does for the state and your role as executive director for the organization? Yeah, absolutely. And again, thanks so much for highlighting the work that Fairness does all across the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And of course, for folks living outside of Kentucky, we work in partnership with other LGBTQ statewide groups like Equality Ohio, Equality Texas, Equality Florida, all across the nation. We've got partners uh, that we work with throughout the year, gather with several times a year. The Fairness Campaign in Kentucky specifically was founded in 1991 uh, to really achieve LGBTQ civil rights laws. Uh, at the time, and frankly still today, LGBTQ discrimination is legal in most of the United States uh, in some form. Uh, in Louisville in 1991, uh, of course, uh, LGBTQ discrimination was legal all across the board. You could still be fired from your job, could still be denied a place to live, could still be kicked out of a restaurant or any public business. And so 10 Louisvillians came together to form the Fairness Campaign. Uh, and after about 10 years, they passed the first fairness ordinance in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And again, that deals with discrimination for LGBTQ folks. Uh, and so that was a lot of the work of our first decade. And I do want to highlight that the Fairness Campaign has always done its work from uh, an anti-racist lens that we have always seen as integral uh, the ending of systemic racism in our community and specifically within the LGBTQ plus community as a necessary means to end LGBTQ discrimination, that we cannot address LGBTQ prejudice without first addressing racial prejudice in our community. Uh, and so that's a, a, a focus that we've had at the Fairness Campaign since we were founded. And I'm proud to say that that endures today. Um, and you know we have uh, been very vocal in the Black Lives Matter movement um, in protesting the murder of Breonna Taylor here in Louisville um, by the police here at the Louisville Police Department. A lot of what we're known for, though, is the state legislature's 
many attempts to pass anti-LGBTQ laws, and we are typically among the first line of defense to try to stop the Kentucky General Assembly from passing, unfortunately, many of the types of bills that we saw this year. Um, and, and we had some devastating losses this year, which I'm sure we'll chat about. Um, but that's a lot of the work that we do as well, is to work in the state capitol as lobbyists on LGBTQ plus issues and other issues that we care about, um, also reproductive freedom, uh, and uh, also to try to get more cities like Louisville uh, to pass their own local anti-discrimination fairness ordinances. And to that end, we now have 24 Kentucky communities that have banned discrimination against LGBTQ people all across the board. I wish it were every city in the state. I wish it were a statewide law. Um, 24 cities and counties sound like a lot, but it actually only covers about 30 percent of Kentucky's population uh, because we're a mostly rural state and we've got over 400 cities in our state. So we've still got a lot of work to do just to end LGBTQ discrimination and the fight in the state legislature here in Kentucky and all across the nation is just getting more and more extreme uh, as conservatives try to pass more bills that target right now the trans community and particularly trans kids. Um, but who knows what's going to be next on the chopping block. Right. And I'm so glad that you mentioned um, like the, the attacks that the these extremists have uh, started uh, and LGBTQ rights have always been under attack by these Republicans. Why has it increased in the past 10 to 20 years? Yeah. You'll probably get uh, a lot of different answers from different folks, but my thousand foot view, and I've been at the Fairness Campaign for uh, going on 15 years now. I was hired in 2009 as the executive director um, to, to lead the campaign. And I have seen this as a direct result of marriage becoming legal for LGBTQ folks. Uh, people will remember it's not been too long ago, less than a decade, we got marriage rights at the Supreme Court with that landmark case, Obergefell v. Hodges in 2015. And right after that happened, our opponents felt the rug pulled out from under them. Uh, you know, they had relied on same-sex marriage as a key wedge issue that they could use in campaigns to score cheap political points. And Kentucky had uh, fallen victim to that, like so many other states. In 2004, a presidential election year uh, with then President George W. Bush, their campaign, very smart strategy they deployed to put a key wedge issue and morality issue on the ballot in swing states and it happened to be at the time marriage now kentucky was not a swing state in 2004 <laughs> however we got swept up in the wave i mean if you're right. going to put something on the ballot in 12 states why not do it in 13 14 15 and so so many other states just sort of got caught up uh, in that rhetoric and that's the exact same thing that's happened now right after marriage became legal and support for marriage jumped uh, because folks uh, learned exactly what we'd always been telling them. Nothing changes when right. LGBTQ people get married, except LGBTQ people get married. It's the only <laughs> thing that happens. Uh, and so support uh, saw a sharp increase. 
And conservative opponents were like, ah, what, what is going to be the next issue? And first they tried trans bathrooms, uh, attacking trans folks from using the bathroom. Kentucky was actually one of the first states in the nation to face one of these uh, anti-trans bathroom bills in schools in 2015. Now, we beat it almost a decade ago in 2015. Of course, it came back from the dead this year. But folks will also remember it was those same years that North Carolina passed their restrictive uh, anti-trans bathroom bill. Uh -huh. And they had all sorts of economic consequences. The NBA All-Star Game pulled out of North Carolina. Yep. The NCAA pulled their championship games out. Concerts decided not to, uh, not to go there, cancel their performances. And so that didn't catch on, but the other side kept on looking, uh, going down the list, figuring out what, what's going to be the issue that sticks. And unfortunately, it was attacking trans kids who wanted to play sports. And let me tell you, there are very few trans kids playing sports right now. In Kentucky, when we ended up facing this bill last year and lost the battle, the bill ended up banning one transgender 12-year-old girl who helped start her school's field hockey team. They legislated away her right to play with her friends her eighth grade year. And again, that was us being caught up in a tidal wave because the bill had already been run in more than a dozen states in the last year. Uh, and so I knew, I saw it coming. Um, and I saw the stuff coming out of Florida, the don't say gay, don't say trans bill. Um, and then of course, the attack on gender affirming healthcare for trans kids. So all of this came from this national movement, the Alliance Defending Freedom, a major well-funded national conservative think tank has deployed this strategy to eradicate LGBTQ folks in every aspect of daily life um, in the state legislatures all across the nation. And at this point, it's a numbers game. You know, it used to be we would only face across the United States a few dozen anti-LGBTQ bills a year. This year, we're tracking more than 400 anti-LGBTQ bills in state houses across the nation, most of them are attacking transgender kids. And if it were not for that, we would never have debated and ended up passing one of the worst anti-trans bills in the entire country in Kentucky this year, Senate Bill 150, which does several things. It attacks trans kids um, at several different points of their life. First, by denying them gender-affirming health care, no puberty-blocking drugs, no hormone replacement therapy for children under the age of 18. It attacks them in schools in several different ways. Um, it allows teachers to use incorrect pronouns and incorrect names for transgender students. It forces school districts to adopt a policy that restricts bathroom and facility usage for transgender students. And it forbids teachers from talking about any LGBTQ subject from kindergarten all the way through senior year of high school. Now, I do like to point out there's no enforcement mechanism in the bill for those provisions. So I've been telling teachers, you go right ahead and teach whatever you want to teach about LGBTQ people, history and rights, because there's not an enforcement mechanism in the bill. But it's going to create a chilling effect, and it's certainly going to make teachers more afraid about what they can and can't teach and what they can and can't say in the classroom. Right. Um, 
since you brought it up, um, how did this bill sneak through at the 11th hour? Because we were, I was under the impression because I had kept track of this and the, uh, the anti-drag bill, mm -hmm. um, the anti-drag bill was dead in the water. Mm -hmm. And then this was seemingly dead. And I was like, okay, we're good until the next session. And then somehow like this zombie came back alive and they attached it to like an Omni bill. And it just, talk to us about how this got through. Cause this was. Yeah. Unfortunately gross. in Frankfurt, it's never over till it's over. And I, I think anybody that works in any state legislature across the country would probably say about the same thing. Um, you know, I knew that these, these things that not until the last, the stroke of midnight, were we going to be able to take a, a breath um, and a sigh of relief? And unfortunately, it never came. So, you know, very much like you, we had been tracking the legislation, you know, mobilizing people to the Capitol, testifying against it, hundreds of people to testify mm -hmm. against all of these anti-LGBTQ bills, the drag bill you're talking about, the pronoun bill, the gender affirming health care bill. Ultimately, many of them got rolled up into the omnibus bill, which you're referring to, Senate Bill 150. And I'm, I'm going to there's a very brief story about the night before the bill passed that is important for people to know, because I wanted to give folks hope the night before this bill ended up passing. We were able to secure 12 Republicans in the very conservative state Senate to vote with us on a compromise version of the health care bill. Now, it was not something that we liked, but it was going to be better than the worst thing they were going to pass. The, the compromise would have allowed for puberty regulating drugs for children under the age of 18. It's not enough, but it would have been a, a life-saving compromise for some of our most vulnerable youth. And the amendment was introduced by State Senator Danny Carroll, a very conservative state lawmaker here in Kentucky. And he introduced it because he listened during the committee hearings where we had debate, where we had people testify against the bills and plead with legislators to say, please, if you pass this the way that it is, you're going to kill Kentucky kids. There's no doubt about it. The rates of suicide are going to skyrocket amongst trans kids in our state if they cannot access the life-saving and necessary health care that they need. And so Senator Danny Carroll heard it. He proposed this compromise. He got just enough Republicans and every Democrat in the state Senate to vote with him. And on that one night, we were able to see a brief light at the end of the tunnel. Now, that compromise did not last 12 hours. Overnight, so that bill, that compromise passed at about 11 p.m. on the second to last day that the legislature could really work. Um, overnight, I don't know that lawmakers got any sleep because their colleagues were calling them and cussing them out. That the Family Foundation mobilized hundreds of emails to every state senator who voted with us on the compromise, impugning their character, impugning their Christianity calling them awful people and awful names. And this was also other members of the state Senate and members of the state house conservatives who were calling on their colleagues and calling them 
awful names uh, and really just browbeating them into submission. And so by the next day, the last working day of the legislature, those folks who worked with us on the compromise just kind of threw their arms up and said, we've done what we could do what you will. And that is when they called the secret committee meeting. This We call it the, the secret House Education Committee meeting. It was so secret that the state lawmaker, the conservative who proposed the health care bill, she didn't even know where the meeting was either. She and I were running the hallways together trying to figure out which room it was in. Uh, that's how little notice anybody had. They didn't tell the press. They didn't tell most of their own members. They sure as hell didn't tell any Democrats at all uh, that they were going to have a committee pass a new version of this bill that nobody had seen, uh-huh. nobody had read, nobody even cared about it. And and in that bill were all of these anti-trans measures that I mentioned earlier, the pronoun bill, the bathroom bill, the gender affirming healthcare bill, the don't say gay, don't say trans bill. They put it all into one. They gave it a, a, they, you know, it was house bill 470. Now it was the vehicle was Senate bill 150. So they dumped it all into Senate bill 150. And then within hours they passed it uh, on the floor of the house and then sent it to the Senate and passed it in the Senate. Uh, And you look at if this is so popular, if your voters care about this so much, why are you doing it in secret? Uh-huh. And it's because they couldn't do it any other way. And, and that's what I also want folks to, to have hope about, is that they're having to be sneaky about doing this stuff because even their own party does not agree on this. It is a very vocal wing of the party that is pushing all of this anti-LGBTQ legislation. And it is not every Republican that supports this type of stuff. Well, let's talk about that because there seems to be this, these loud, always wrong Republicans that are saying, oh, we don't want women to have abortions. We don't want black people or other uh, people of color to vote. We don't want uh, trans people to use bathrooms. We don't want drag queens to perform in over 18 venues. We don't want this. We don't want anything but a Christian cisgender nation. And it just seems like why the the tide has already turned and younger the younger generation gets it. Why do they stick by such a bad decision when the midterms were there was supposed to be this red wave and it was just like a trickle. Why do they stick by such a bad decision? Well, because some of them are true believers. Um, you know, the the most vocal and the loudest really do want these things to pass and really do want to restrict reproductive freedom for everyone. They really do want to see LGBTQ discrimination be normalized. And they are terrified about what they see around them. They know that the young people are not with them. And that is why they're working this hard, because I they think that they can stop it, that they can nip it in the bud, that if you, you know, I, I think that they imagine that denying trans kids health care is going to make them not be trans, that like they're right. going to detransition. And it couldn't be further from the truth. That's absolutely not what's what's going to happen. And, and in 
reality, they are having the opposite effect of their goals. Um, because I have never seen so many people come to the state capitol, so many queer and queer allied people mobilize to Frankfurt, get involved, engaged in the legislative process. They have they have awakened a sleeping beast. And all of these people are not going to forget. But again, they think that if they change and control the institutions, they change and control LGBTQ folks access and black folks access and women's access to all of these, um, you know, different rights uh, that they want to take away that that somehow they're going to, you know, you know, if you don't see it, you don't hear it, it doesn't exist. Right. Um, and, we're, you know, you just can't sweep people back under the rug. So, you know, this isn't going to last. Those people are going to die out. Um, and Gen Z is once Gen Z is the majority of elected officials, well, they'll they'll be the conservatives at that point in time. And we have no idea what the future generations will be on to. You know, right. uh, it's just not going to last. Yeah, it just seems uh, I heard this here recently and it's so interesting that they put it this way that it seems like there's a relitigation of the 60s like you mm -hmm. had the the gay rights you had the women's rights you had uh the civil rights all of these volatile moments in our history just seeming that we thought we had passed it and now we're just like what is this deja vu all over again it's <laughs> But of course, talking to anybody who is black or queer or a woman, um, you know, we've known that we weren't past these painful moments exactly. in history, right? Racism didn't stop. Sexism didn't didn't stop. You know, things got maybe a little better. Um, but, you know, the pendulum swings. And I did think that we were moving in a great direction in our country in 2012, 2013, mm -hmm. 14. You know, the end of the Obama years were like the glory days right. uh, in a lot of ways. And I think the pendulum, you know, that was part of the pendulum swinging. You know, one of the major things that President Obama did was to extend Title IX protections and sex protections to transgender kids and to say the trans kids should be allowed to use bathrooms and facilities that match their gender identity in schools. And I was blown away when President Obama did that. And I immediately thought, gosh, it's really kind of early to have done that. And I wonder what the backlash is going to be. And then again, we, we see the swing starting. Right. Yeah, I, I think the pendulum swung so far left. Well, not far enough left for Not me <laughs> and then it swung all the way right and we saw this i don't even call it a lurch it's just dash toward like authoritarianism with right. trump and his cronies and this fact that he's busting all of these norms that we all thought were set in stone and now we have to look because I remember that people were talking about um, court reform in 2016 and everybody was like, oh, that's not necessary or you're talking, there's other things that are pressing and now we have these asshole justices and we were like, oh, well, we don't know what to do about it. It, it just... It's infuriating, to say the least. And I feel like the Democrats 
are playing a game that doesn't have any rules anymore. Yeah. And I mean, it was Mitch McConnell's game. Uh, you know, that mm -hmm. the reality is that while we were, you know, looking at other things, the conservatives were packing the federal courts, not just the Supreme Court. They were packing all of the federal courts. Um, you know, that is Trump's legacy is going to be that he had more judges appointed than than practically any other president because Mitch McConnell was orchestrating that flawlessly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I certainly don't agree with virtually anything Senator McConnell says or does, but I cannot disagree that he was incredibly effective at packing the courts with conservative justices because they saw the tide turning. They saw mm -hmm. public opinion turning. And so the only way to really quash public opinion is to create a conservative court that's going to interpret laws in what I would argue is the wrong way uh, and to roll back all of these rights that we were just getting ready to, to enjoy. Right, exactly. So in addition to exporting failed insurrection strategies, Republicans and extra Christian extremists have exported their anti-gay laws as evidence of what happened in Uganda with their parliament uh, passing newer anti-gay laws. Um, how can Democrats both locally, as far as the United States and internationally, combat those? That's so tough because I, you're talking about you're talking about real authoritarianism and and the terrifying stuff. And I don't want to suggest that like we things are going great here because as we've been talking, they are not. Mm -hmm. And we are taking the first steps towards, um, you know, this type of really dangerous and deadly um, government control of our lives. And the law that you're talking about is is yet another death sentence um, for LGBTQ folks who live uh, openly. Um, I, I think the most recent law uh, is is talking about you're, you're not allowed to be openly LGBTQ at this point in time. Uh, and you're right that it, it has been a lot of American conservatives and, um, you know, groups rooted in faith, like probably the, the Liberty Council out of Liberty University, the Alliance Defending Freedom, these groups are definitely making it their mission to to spread the hate, the prejudice and and the deadly laws outside of our country's borders. Um, again, though, I don't believe this is going to last. Um, folks do need to get engaged. So first, we do need people engaged here at home. Um, I was in Frankfurt earlier today for a rally. A lot of young folks were coming out and. Um, young Democrats were there, a whole new group of young Democrat leadership in Kentucky to engage them and to work with them. You know, folks need to get political. Uh, the, there are a few things that upset me more than when I hear people who are with us on issues say things like, I just I don't do politics or I don't get political or like we can't do that. That's political. And I'm like, <laughs> Living your life is political. Uh, and if you're not engaging in politics, you are participating in politics. Your lack of participation 
is is giving the other side so much more weight. Um, you know, the reason that all of this is happening is because we don't turn out our voters nearly as well as the other side turns out their voters. Um, and we want to tear each other down. You know, uh, okay. probably most of the hate mail I get at the Fairness Campaign isn't from our opposition. It's from people that either think we are too conservative in what we're doing or too liberal in what we're doing. But they're our own people. They're our own supporters who are always criticizing us. And, you know, what Republicans have in, uh, they are lockstep on things. Absolutely. You know, by and large, they're not questioning their own their authority. Um, and you should, you should question those things. But the reality is that they are just so much more unified than we are and unified on their messaging and their scare tactics and their fear tactics. And so we need to get more unified and more coalesced around our messaging and around our movements and around our candidates. And unfortunately, it does mean accepting candidates that aren't perfect sometimes. Um, you know, the Fairness Campaign has a political action committee. We endorse candidates running for office. We've endorsed a number of candidates through the years that are like, ah, well, they're not with us on everything we believe in. But in this moment in time, this is someone who may be able to help us advance our agenda. And, you know, we'll get behind that candidate. Uh, and I know that that can be frustrating, but, you know, you've got to participate. Um, and, you know, looking outside our country's borders um, is a challenge that I haven't even been able to wrap my mind around yet. I, uh, you know, there there was um, a moment in time where we were working with uh, more than a decade ago an organization called uh, Farug Uganda, and uh, they were an LGBTQ rights organization. And the challenges that they were facing and the fear that they were facing on a daily basis um, was so much more than than I could envision, uh, and than I could have endured, you know, the bravery of folks working for civil rights in countries where it can literally mean a death sentence. Um, they need our support. Uh, and so, you know, I'll say more than anything, it, when you're making your annual contributions to organizations, think about supporting a civil rights organization in a country where it's very difficult and complicated, because our dollars will go um, a longer way oftentimes uh, in those countries. And those are the folks that need incredible amounts of support. Absolutely. Because I could not imagine. I know we have issues up the ass here, but <laughs> living in a place like Uganda or Rwanda or uh, Hungary, where my, my very being is an attack on the majority it's something i i could not i could not do especially with the slick mouth that i have <laughs> i couldn't <laughs> do it uh, so uh talk about the the younger generation that you um talked to during the debate of these uh anti uh, trans bills and what makes you optimistic in their future oh they, they don't tolerate it. I mean, they won't have it. I, and anybody who's talked to a young person knows, you know, you screw up the pronouns, you're going to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have a workplace policy that's unfair, unjust, you're going to hear it. Um, these kids are organized and they are unabashed about fighting injustice. Uh, and it's because they have friends who they love who are out 
and who are trans. And, you know, the other side, I think, you, you know, so many of the narratives are around, you know, LGBTQ folks recruiting young kids. And, and you know, that's a reverberation from the 60s and 70s. But okay. the reality is that the reason our opponents are seeing so many more LGBTQ youth than they ever did before is because we made the world a little bit safer to come out of the closet. And, and the minute we said, look, the water is kind of okay, that's when you have so many folks coming out, embracing themselves, embracing each other. You know, I came out at uh, the age of 17 in 1997, and that was kind of early at the time. But now, you know, all of these kids, not all of them, but a lot of these kids are coming out at, you know, 11, 12, 13. Right. You know, trans, trans youth are coming out at six, seven and eight because they have an innate sense of self and many of them, not all of them, but many of them have families who are willing to support their journey and to listen to their kids. And so they, the young, the young folks have been emboldened uh, by that. And, and they're just not going to go back. You can't shove them back into the closet. They're going to fight this injustice. I certainly saw that in Frankfurt this session. Uh, you know, I have never seen the protests um, with the exception of the teacher pension issue from a few oh, years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> the exception of that, I have never seen the, the level of energy and the level of protest and very serious protest um, that I have in our state capitol. And, it, and it's all being led by the young folks. Do you think there is a chance that Kentucky can inch towards being blue in the next election. You mean purple. <laughs> yeah, let's do purple. I wish, I, could, I, I wish we could get blue. Purple. Well, our next election is right upon us. You know, we're going to be electing a governor this year, and uh, the Fairness Campaign has proudly endorsed Governor Andy Bashir in his last race, uh, and in this one as well. And we absolutely have the opportunity to keep our Democrat governor, so to keep um, the governor's seat blue. And the challenge is going to be, can we also elect a blue uh, attorney general? Can we get Colonel Pam Stevenson? Oh, yeah, we... This powerhouse, Pam Stevenson. Can we get her across the finish line? Can we get Buddy Wheatley across the finish line for Secretary of State? Can we get the only statewide openly gay candidate we've ever had, Michael Bowman? Can we get him across the finish line to become our state treasurer? Um, that's going to be a much bigger challenge, but it's definitely going to be a test. Uh, I think Andy Bashir is going into this election in a really strong position. Agreed. And I think he's going to help lift some of the other candidates up. But if if our people do not mobilize, you know, Andy doesn't even have a chance. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got to turn out our folks like never before to ensure that we keep our most pro-equality governor in history with, with Andy Bashir. And then if we get some wins this November, I think absolutely we're going to start chipping away slowly at the super majorities uh, in the House and the Senate that the Republicans controlled next year. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Um, right. So I guess our my final question is, um, with, uh, you know, a lot of people that listen to the podcast don't often always live in a blue state. Okay. So what is your advice to those people that live in a red state 
and feel that it's hopeless as far as getting rights for queer people. Well, it's just never hopeless. Uh, And I hope that our work has has amplified that message. Um, When I came into the Fairness Campaign, there were three cities in our state that banned discrimination against LGBTQ folks, Louisville, Lexington, and Covington. And I genuinely believed that we could win fairness anywhere and that there are LGBTQ plus people living everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we know that, (laughs) you know, queer (laughs) people are not just living in cities. Now, many people do move, of course, to urban areas, but we know that every community has queer people in it. And through our work, um, we started working in Rich- Richmond, a smaller town in Kentucky, to see if we could maybe pass a fairness ordinance. And we weren't having a lot of success. But the relationships that we built in Richmond, uh, folks said, well, why don't you try Berea, about 15 miles over. Um, mm-hmm. Good crew in Berea. We go to Berea. There are 25 people at our first meeting. We come back a couple weeks later, there are 50 people at our next meeting. And the movement continued to grow in Berea. And we never won in Berea. We never won the fairness ordinance vote. But the movement in Berea inspired more than a dozen other Kentucky communities to start their own movements. And the relationships that we built in Berea, and Berea is only a town of, you know, 14,000, 15,000 But the relationships that we built there led us to the tiny Appalachian coal town of Vico. At the time, population 334, with an openly gay mayor, who was also the town hairdresser. (laughs) And he was willing to introduce the fairness ordinance, and he never even had to vote for it because the mayor only votes to break a tie in Vico. And three out of four of the former coal miners on the city commission said that this just wasn't a big deal and that they respected Johnny, the mayor, and that they loved him and that they were willing to treat everybody with dignity and respect. And so we passed the fairness ordinance uh, 10 years ago there, 2013, And at the time, we knew that it was the smallest city in Kentucky with a fairness ordinance. We didn't know that it was the smallest city in America that had passed an LGBTQ rights law. And suddenly, tiny little Vico was catapulted into international fame. The New York Times flew into town, did a big uh, story on them. Uh, Stephen Colbert flew his camera crew into town, did a sublime piece on the Colbert Report. And so Vico set the stage for the conversation that this is not a big city issue. This is an every city issue. This is an American issue that we can find acceptance and support for queer people everywhere that they live. And they live literally everywhere. And so don't ever give up hope. It, you can start as small as that, that Vico was the pebble that loosened the boulder that started the landslide. Because right after Vico passed fairness, our state capital Frankfurt said, if Vico can do it, why can't we? And then Kim Davis's hometown of Moorhead passed fairness unanimously right afterwards. And then Midway and then Paducah and Danville and all of these other cities started falling like dominoes. And it just took that one little town with an openly gay mayor 
where it just wasn't a big deal. Exactly. I remember uh, I was fresh out of college and that happened and then it just kind of like dominoes. It just started yeah. falling. Chris, thank you so much for being on here on our show. Um, if you would uh, plug uh, all of your social media, if you care to, also the Fairness Campaign and if people want to donate where they can do that. Absolutely, for sure. Visit fairness.org. You can get signed up, get our email alerts, send a message to your state lawmakers uh, at Fairness Camp on Twitter, Fairness Campaign on Instagram and Facebook. That's where we will release all of our information first about what's going on. Uh, and I'm just Chris Hartman on Instagram uh, and Chris Hartman KY on uh, Twitter and on um, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> It took me a minute to think about it. I wasn't on TikTok until this year. I literally, I just downloaded it like maybe a month ago. And I'm like, okay, how do you use this thing? I feel so ancient. And I feel this is how old we know we are. We downloaded TikTok the year everybody's banning it from their phones. Right. Because <laughs> TikTok has some really great information. Because I, I wouldn't have known about the, uh, the uprising in South Korea or the, uh, in Saudi Arabia. Yep. If it wasn't for TikTok. Yep. But that's a whole nother uh story. Uh, exactly. You can follow Megasheen on Twitter at Megasheen One. Uh I'm at what Porter say, Drifters at Wonderman Five. You can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast all over. Uh Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. And we're on Facebook, Megasheen, Instagram Megasheen. Um, I guess that will be all. Chris, have a great day. And guys, we will see you next time. Thanks.